First Peter chapter two is where we're at. This is the fourth message in the series we've called Dawn is Coming. Is it okay to have fun in church? Is that all right? All right, First Peter chapter two. Title of my message is For God's Sake. For God's sake. Come on, show your neighbor, tell him, for God's sake. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse 13, I'm reading out of the message translation today. It says, make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will. When you come across that, you should pay attention. Because <laughs> that's what some of us, so many of us are asking all the time, like, what's God's will for me? Here you have it. You wanted to know. That by doing good, you might cure the ignorance. Wow, that's charged. Cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. You who are servants, be good servants to your masters, not just to good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're, wait, we can make that our title. And we did. And we did. Got him. What counts is that you put up with it, say it with me, for God's sake, when you're treated badly for no good reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. But if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. Come on, if you're thankful to have the shepherd, Jesus Christ, as the guardian and overseer of your soul. How good is it to have someone keep and watch over your soul? Love that. Um, we say, uh, for God's sake or for heaven's sake, when we're trying to like really show someone that we mean business. We're trying to make something we're telling someone become more forceful. Like you might say, turn that music down for heaven's sake, right? Not just like normal turn the music down. This is like turn the music down heaven's sake, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's more intense. Uh, it, it's, it's more aggressive. Uh, you might say like, no, don't scare me like that for God's sake. It's really, really, I really am insisting you don't do me that way. It, it just, it, it kind of is actually our way to really show someone we're annoyed with them. 
because we're trying to say, like, God's going to be mad at you because of what you did, right? It's like we're appealing to a higher authority. We're trying to make what we're saying have more oomph to it, right? That's why when we're not saying for God's sake, for heaven's sake, what do we say? For Pete's sake, the Apostle Peter. That's where that came from, by the way. The Apostle Peter, uh, who, by the way, wrote the book we're studying, we would say, for Peter's sake, for Pete's sake, for heaven's sake, because Peter is at the pearly gates with a clipboard. You guys know that, right? <laughs> for Peter's sake, for heaven's sake, for God's sake, we're trying to, to, to motivate. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to motivate someone by appealing to a higher authority when we would say such things. Well, guys, we're reading words that Peter wrote, and he's telling us, don't do it for my sake, but as you do all you do, do it for heaven's sake. But don't use that to motivate someone else. Use that to motivate you. We're to live these lives in a certain intentional, focused way for heaven's sake. And that's, that's what we mean when we say, thy will be done. Not my will be done, but thy will be done, which is how Jesus taught us to pray. It's how Jesus taught us to live, to live our lives out for heaven's sake, as a part of a bigger story. Now, we've got to pause right here, because we just jumped in in verse 13 and acknowledge where we're at as we make our way into this new section, the second half of First Peter chapter 2. And we're exactly at the halfway mark of our series. This message is four of eight, and this passage begins the second half of this little book. You see, verses 11 and 12, many people describe kind of like as the intermission, like between the acts of a play, there's kind of like this intermission. Basically, everything that he has said has been uh, sort of setting things up, and then everything that follows is his way of showing how to put these things in action, and in between is really where we're going to live out of for the rest of the book, verse 11 and 12. Verse 11, he said, beloved, right, just sort of like dear, and like, hey, guys, I love you, like, I love you so much. Don't miss this. Therefore, beloved. And then he said, I urge you. Now, let me ask you this question. If you use the word urge or beg, what are you trying to show? Like, trying to show you mean business. You wouldn't be like, I beg you. Can I have a dollar? Right? It's like, you wouldn't use it on something so frivolous. But like, I beg you, please don't go to that party. Please, right, get out of that. Like, if you're going to say that, you mean, you mean, you're saying for heaven's sake, really, is what you're, you're saying. I urge you, beloved. And then he said, abstain. From, this is verse 11, from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. He said, you have a guardian of your soul, but there's also an enemy who's trying to mess with your soul. And in this world you live in, that's not your home, there are lusts, there are things you could do that would, that would harm your soul and mess you up on the inside and keep you back from God. He's like, I, I beloved, beloved I, I, I urge you, abstain. Don't give in to temptation. Don't give in to the, the pressure that's put on you in this world. It's not your home. Your home's heaven. That's what he was saying in this, this, this first chapter. He's like, your home's heaven. Don't you see that? That's where your citizenship is. That's where your future is. That's where your allegiance is. That's where your savior is. Prophets foretold it. Angels are pumped about it. Heaven's your home. Don't forget that. Don't settle down here. Don't let your desire for heaven get snowed over. Don't get lulled to sleep. You know, people who are dealing with hypothermia oftentimes feel hot just before they die. So they'll find them clothes taken off. See, how you feel is oftentimes the opposite of what's real. And he's saying this world's like that. 
You'll feel something. You'll give in to that feeling, that sleepiness that comes over you. He's like, don't, no, don't let that fall asleep. Stay awake. Stay alert. Keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your hearts on heaven. Abstain from these lusts that war. Look, war? War? Life is not a game to be played. It's a war to be waged. So be focused, okay? That's what he said in verse 11. Then he said, and, and here's what you need to do. You need to let your conduct be honorable as you mix with unbelievers. Now listen, we are meant to mix with unbelievers. We're not supposed to engineer a life that basically tries to replicate the circumstances of heaven. In heaven, it'll be just Jesus people all the time, Jesus followers all the time, but you'll never get a witness. If there's not someone in your life you can think of to give a sticky note to, something's wrong. There's not situations where you're around unbelievers, right? Where you would, because in heaven, you try and witness, it'll be really frustrating. Hey, you know what, Jesus? Yeah, he's right over there. He's having a slurpee. What are you talking about? He's right over there, right? You, you can't witness in heaven, but here we can. Here we're around people that need hope, that need love, that need life, that need to have their day brightened, that need to be encouraged. So don't give in to the pressures around you, but don't give up on the people around you. Have your conduct be honorable. Live an awesome Life, the art of living beautifully. That's the rest of the book. Because the rest of the book, having built his case in the first half, in the prologue, he sets up what's coming. And so now he's going to tell us how to do that. Okay, so the rest of the book is how to abstain from fleshly lusts that are going to come against you, right? With, with, with keeping in mind the fact that we're to, to love the people around us. So it's that tension. We're put to the knife's edge. And the church is always between one of those two extremes either insulating ourselves from the world or imitating the world in the things they're doing. But we're not meant to imitate or, in, uh, or, or uh, insulate. We're called to infiltrate, to infiltrate the world, to be that salt, to be that light, and to have an impact. So to do that, we have to be in there, but we have to also know that we have some things we're not going to give into. And so that's what's going to follow the rest of the book. And I hope you'll be here in the weeks to come. Specifically, next weekend, we're going to talk about marriage. So if you've got a marriage in your life, let's talk about it. If you, if you, if you want to get married someday, let's talk about it. It's going to be a beautiful message. I hope you'll come back to church next week. And just in, in the series as we go on, we're going to be looking at what does it look like to not give into the world, but not give up on the people in the world in all these different areas while we're dealing with lives that are full of pain at times. So it's going to be a pretty relatable series, and we're going to believe through it all that dawn is coming, that God is up to something with hope and with faith, with a, with a better or belief for a better tomorrow. We're going to trust God and blaze a trail into the future. I can't wait for what God has for you. I can't wait for God ha what God has for me and us as we move on. And I got so much faith in, in what God has for us, fresh life, and it's just going to be a, a wonderful time. All right, so specifically this week, of course, uh, as we read, what, what he's going to do now is show us how this principle works out when it comes to authority. We're going to give in to the world, and we're going to give up on the world. And what does that look like when it comes to authority relationships? That's, that's what he's going to talk about, authority issues. Now, I love authority, and so do you when we're in charge. <laughs> I love leadership. Go into any bookstore, right? There's, you're going to find a million books on, on how to be a great leader. I was like, no, I'm going to prove that because I want to be a great leader. I love leadership. I love calling the shots. I love being in charge. How about when someone else is in charge? 
right? Where's that book? <laughs> how to be under authority. How to do what someone else says you should do. How to not be in charge. Like, uh, that's not my lane. That's not my lane. I'm going to go find a different, I'm going to go find a biography. I'm going to read George Washington's biography and find out how to, how to stand there with my leg up. That's what I want to do. That's what all of us want. That's the, st- that's, that's where we want to be. But, but Peter knows that our big problem, that's the first thing I want you to jot down. The problem is that all of us are going to face issues with authority when we're not the one in charge, when we're not the one calling shots. So what does life look like shining brightly for Jesus, making a difference in this world, keeping our hearts set on heaven while our feet are still here on earth when we're not the one in charge? And how do we deal with that problem for heaven's sake? For heaven's sake. Because the truth is, if it hasn't happened to you yet, there is going to come a time when someone is in charge of you in some way who's a moron. <laughs> You're like, yeah, fair. Fair enough. Right? A moron. Meaning you're just going to go like, what, the things that you do are so stupid. And I don't like any of the things that you choose to do. Right? I don't like, I don't like the way you interact with people. You're not self-aware. You're just, you're just thinking, you should not be in charge. We've all been there, where we feel like, what mix-up took place in the universe that put you in? I wouldn't let you have metal silverware, right? Much less a decision-making ability that impacts other human beings. And we, that, that's a, it's a problem. Can we just call it out? It's a problem, right? I, I've encountered mall security guards who are a problem for me. Like, it seems sometimes like the smallest power that can be given is usually wielded most carefully, right? Protected most vigorously, defended most ardently. And and that frustrates me exceedingly, right? (laughs) To to see someone with a little bit of power, like running it like it's a prison camp, it just grates on me. And, 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 And I... I have to bite my lip sometimes just to keep from being in third grade again, right? Most of my life, I'm trying to avoid letting the third grader out and just live his life, right? Because I remember problem with authority being written on progress report after progress report. Anybody else with me? Authority issues, doesn't like being told what to do, doesn't like busy work, doesn't, like I used to correct my vacation Bible school teachers for getting the Bible stories wrong. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's not how it went down. David had to bring a bag of foreskins to Saul to marry his daughter. You're hiding us from the truth, right? And why are you shielding us from the real details? What are you scared of? What kind of exposition is that, huh? This teacher's like, you know what? I'm a volunteer. I don't need this, right? I'm here to serve Jesus, not to mess with you, right? And and uh, and just 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 have always had a problem with anybody telling me what to do besides me. He's like, I should be in charge, not you. And I think this is, this is, this is a problem um, be, because we feel that way. And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong. But in both instances, what Peter is saying here is that the posture, that's our second word we want to jot down, the posture that God is calling us to, to, to um, assume is that of submission, when we're under someone's leadership, or in any way someone is in charge of us, the posture we are to assume is that of submission. Submission. He puts it this way. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. 
The word submit in the Greek is hupotasso. Say that out loud. It's just nice to say a Greek word just on a Sunday morning. Hupotasso. It's hupotasso. It just rolls off the tongue. Come on one more time with a little attitude. Hupotasso. I like it. All right, hupotasso means to arrange yourself under. To arrange yourself under. It's a military word. It'd be like if two guys were talking, you know, at the MP or the, you know, military cafeteria, right? They're eating some food in the military, and, and, and they maybe have a, a jacket on or something. They can't see, you know, their patches. They don't know each other's setup, but then maybe one of them stands up and takes his coat off, and all of a sudden, he sees he was being super casual with someone who has outranks him, who's his, uh, a commanding officer, right? All of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. He's going to arrange himself under how he speaks how he acts is going to be different when he knows he's out, when she knows she's outranked, correct? Or, or hell to pay, right? You, you, I'm outranked in this situation, so what am I going to do? I'm going to do the things that are needed to be done to show in this situation that I am outranked by you. I'm going to submit myself under this authority. And that, that's where strength comes from. What he's saying to you is any situation you're in in life, you're, you're in third grade, you're a senior in, in, in high school, you're at work, well, you, you, have a, you have a mayor in your town, you have a police officer who, 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 who can pull you over, you have people who have put up signs on the, on, the, on the freeway saying how fast your car can go, you have a tax code, you, you're in, your boss at work, any area where you have an authority. And he literally said, whatever level, small or large. And, and like I said before, at times, the, the smaller the matter is, maybe the bigger of a deal it is that you are honor it. And he, what he's saying is, to, in, in that situation, when you sense the authority, when you sense the hierarchy, submit yourself under it. Submit yourself under that authority. Hupatasso. Choose to, 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 to stand down. Choose to defer. Choose to to yield in that moment. He says, submit yourselves. Let me tell you something. The alternative is for you, yourself to be submitted by somebody else. And, and God will do it if you won't. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the hupotassoed, to the humble, to those who yield. Because listen to me very carefully. God is seeking to anoint. God is seeking to bless. But God can't very well get that anointing oil onto your head if you won't bow down. It's real difficult for him to get anointing oil on the top of your head while your chin's always up, while your chest always puffed out, while your arms are always crossed. Who are you to tell me what to do? That shouldn't be the speed limit on this. I remember when it was 85. It should be 85. Therefore, since it should be 85, I'm going to make it. What are you doing? You're arranging yourself above. Governing authorities don't know crap. I'm, I know, I, well, I, here's how it should be. Therefore, since I see it's how it should be, this is how I'm going to make it. Be. What are you doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? Hey, you need to put your seat up for landing. Oh, okay, that's going to make a difference. Is that better? We good? Hey, you need to, need to buckle up. Now, I don't mind. I don't mind if she says, hey, how's it going? Hey, we're about to land. Could you please buckle up? I'm cool with that. But when she's like, hey, buckle up. You're not buckled. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put the pieces together and put my hoodie over it. You're going to think it's buckled, but it won't be. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a sinner. <laughs> and in that moment, I'm like, what are you even doing? I almost got kicked off a plane the other day. This is a true story. <laughs> now you're listening. She literally said the words, if you won't do this, I'll have you escorted off the plane. I was like, yeah, we can uh, do this. We'll do whatever you want. <laughs> I don't want to get escorted off a plane, ma'am. Um, she was wrong. 
How do I know she was wrong? Because Delta refunded the ticket price after the fact when I talked to the supervisors. Oh, yeah. I called them just to say, hey, am I crazy? Because my son is flying in a car seat that has an FAA certified sticker on the side of it that I bought because it had an FAA certified sticker on the side of it because we get on airplanes sometimes. And getting on the plane, she said, that, that car seat is not FAA certified. I'm like, but the sticker says it is. She goes, I've never seen that car seat before. You can't use it. And I was like, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> um, yes, I can. It has a sticker. She goes, I've never seen that brand. It's a new brand. It was on Kickstarter. It was a clever invention. Someone just made it. It exceeds the FAA certification. Look, she goes, I need to see it in the manual. I brought it. Here's the manual. I still, he's not flying in it. Take it out. I said, ma'am, he needs to sit in this car seat. She said, if you don't take the car seat out, I'll have you escorted off the plane. Freaking A, lady. <laughs> Felt hot. Really hot. So we took the car seat out and buckled him in with a little pull-tab buckle, which he opened up instantly. <laughs> and then she came back and said, he needs to be buckled up. I'm like, that's why I brought a car seat that ties him down. <laughs> it's a twitchy eye. <laughs> so mad. Well, when I wrote Delta later and showed him a picture of the car seat, they said, she should have let it on. He should have been right. In fact, we're going to give you all the money back for your son's ticket. But the, and the point was, in the moment, she was in charge. She outranked me. So it was an opportunity for me to rank myself under. I didn't do it as good as I wish I would have. <laughs> but I did it. I, I didn't get arrested. Are you proud of me? OK, so. But it, it's not, what, what Peter's saying is it's not even so much an issue about who's right. Because you can be right, but still do wrong. And so what he's saying is, he's saying the posture of hupatasso is especially important when they're wrong. It's a spe he said, good on you if, if you uh, can be doing what's wrong and, and take your punishment. Whatever, that doesn't matter, right? Awesome. But if you were right and they still slammed down on you, if, if, if you didn't cut up, but you got the detention, if you turn the paper in, but they're saying you didn't, well, it, it's when someone is unfair and unjust and just cruel and petty and vindictive and capricious, those are the times that really are, we're going to see our character. And you're like, well, you know, that's nice for Peter to say all this, but my boss is a real piece of work. Let's talk about Peter's boss real quick. He's in Rome. The emperor is Nero, and that's who he's talking about. He says, let, let, the, the emperor on down, right? Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, is how one translation puts it. So the king in that instance is Nero. And he's saying, honor, honor Nero. He's writing the Christians all over the Roman Empire, especially specifically Asia Minor, and he's saying, honor Nero. Nero, one of the most horrible human beings who has ever lived. Don't say that lightly. At its worst, he had Christians randomly selected to be dipped in tar and burnt on fire in his garden so he could see to race his chariot at night. Crazy as the day is long. Under that leadership, 
Under that kind of political landscape, Peter writes to Christians who are like, what do we do? Right? Are we going to Boston Tea Party this thing? Like, what's the deal? Are we going to kill the beast? Are we storm in the castle? Like, what's up, man? This guy's a psychopath. And he's like, hey, honor the king. He couldn't be in charge if God didn't allow it to be so. So honor the king. Honor him. Let's pray for his salvation. Let's not give in to the lust around us, but let's not forget we're meant to reach these people. Let's reach these people. Come on, let's, let's honor that king. Let's pray for, for Emperor Nero. Whew! The posture of Hupatasso at every level, arrange yourself under. This kind of belief goes back to something that, that is really a theological basis. The theological basis is the Lord's sake. We don't, we don't do it on the basis of the person. I'm not going to honor someone on, on their basis. I'm going to do it for God's sake. I'm not looking for something in you that tells me I should honor you. I'm going to do it for God's sake. And that, that phrase, is the theological underpinning that believes in a sovereign God who is the author of authority. Listen, you can't spell authority without author. So if there's someone in your life who is a boss of you in, on, on any level, a crossing guard monitor, right? This, this person has been allowed to be in your life. That doesn't say God approves of what they do, but they could not be in charge if it weren't for God. Peter said the same thing Paul did. Paul said in Romans 13, look at this one. He's even more explicit. Let every soul, shall your neighbor say you too, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. But you don't know my boss. There is no authority except from God. My coach on my soccer team is such a, there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. But what about if um, it's like a Holocaust and they're like killing Jews, and I have to like Corey Tinboom hide Jews in my closet so they don't get put into the you know the the death chamber? Okay, yeah, solid point. If there's ever a situation where Adolf Hitler is burning Jews all around you by the millions, and you have to hide them in your closet so they don't go into the concentration camps, you know what? You should totally do that. But tomorrow at work, um, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Because what, what, what our minds do is they go to, we, we grab for any possible instance in which civil disobedience would be warranted, and then we apply that exception to the rule of our everyday lives. And we feel justified in dishonoring our president just because we didn't vote for him, in disobeying a governor and talking bad about him just because he doesn't or she doesn't have the same ideologies we do. And we choose to feel that we somehow are entitled to not do the one thing that God said every one of us should do on the basis of if there is an exception, certainly I will apply it to every part of my life dogmatically. So what do you do if you are ever told explicitly to do something that would be illegal or expressly sinful, or if you're by an authority being abused in such a way as to be sexually or physically violated. Obviously, there's a time to, to disobey in Jesus' name, accepting the consequences come what may. For example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down to a gold statue. They were high-ranking government employees in the Babylonian Empire. Bow down to the statue. Y'all, we can't do that. So with all humility, deference, honor, and not a trace of smugness or disrespect, they appealed to their king and said, King, we will honor you. 
We've, we have a great track record. We've been promoted like 10 times because everything you asked us to do, we've, ever, we've always done. But this is something we can't do because it would violate our hearts. And we appeal to a higher authority in this instance. And we understand if it's going to cost us our jobs, great. If it's going to cost us our lives, we're, we're OK with that. But we will serve no king but God in that ultimate way. So you're a businessman, and you have to fly to Atlanta entertain some clients that your company's trying to, to win their business over, and your boss says, I need you to take them and have a good time, whatever that means. You know, and you know what that means, strip club, you know that means this. You're at a tough spot to say, look, I know this is the thing that it's done. I know this is, this is an area. Look, I'll take them to Top Golf. We, we can go to Chili's. I'll, I will awesome a blossom real quick. But understanding this may, this may be a thing where I, I, we have to part ways or I, I can't be this anymore. I'll, do, I'll, I'll serve this company. I'll serve you. I can't do that. Yes, there's a time for that. But what he's trying to get us to see is that the majority of our lives aren't those times. I have never had anyone ever tell me to sin, right? Tell, like, you have to do this. And if that situation ever comes, but I've had a thousand situations where I just haven't liked someone or I've chafed against their management style or I just haven't liked their breath or, or, <laughs> or really just that they're, they, they, well, really, here's the real issue. I don't like that they have a position that I wish I had. Therefore, I'm going to make up some fictitious situation that would then give me an extenuation on doing what God's actually calling me to do. So what God wants us to do is to go, look, okay, yeah, those, those times exist, and should you come to that? And, and obviously, I'm not, I'm not speaking lightly. If, if you have an authority figure who is harming you, call the police. There's a higher authority for that, too. They answer then to that authority, yes. Yes, if you're being abused. Yes, all those things are, are for sure an issue. But, you know, the whistleblower is, is, is an honored thing if there's an actual thing happening, right? But, but what I'm saying is the majority of our lives are spent in situations where there's an authority over us we just don't like. And in those situations, we need to honor God by honoring the authority that he authored into our situation. And that's what uh, we need to know because, this is really important that you get, jot this down, rebellion leads to the opposite of freedom. In our heads, we think, if I could just be free of this leadership, I'd be free. But rebelling against that leadership actually brings us to the opposite of what we want. And if you want proof of that, just write this down, the Garden of Eden. Don't eat this tree. I'm going to eat it, so I'll be free. The devil said, eat that, you'll be free. Your eyes will be opened. They lost access to the Garden of Eden. They were less free after rebelling than before. I'm going to need a New Testament example. Prodigal son, is that cool? Uh, he left his father's house to go be free. If I just didn't have to listen to my father's rules, I'd really have fun. Okay, great. Do anything you want. Completely free. Ended up losing all freedom. No money, no power, and indebted to this man, eating pig food. And what did he long for? Rules. Longed for his father's house longed to be under his father there because he realized there was true freedom. Max freedom is always found under the authority of God. It's submission that leads to freedom. It's submission that leads to us being free. It's ranking ourselves under. He opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You have to realize this is an upside-down kingdom that we're in. The way to find your life is to lose it. The first shall be last. So it's actually not like in UFC. In UFC, submission means you've tapped out and lost. In God's economy, submission means you're actually poised to rise up in power and strength and in victory in Jesus' name. We can submit. That's not weakness. That's what true strength looks like. All right, that's the problem in the posture. There's a promise attached. 
We have promises attached to our obedience, and I see three of them in the passage we just read. Promise number one is if we'll assume this posture when we face the problem that we face of leaders that we don't like or leaders who are mean or, or, or corrupt, we honor God. That's number one. And most important, we honor God. He says this is commendable in the sight of God when you do this. It's God's will. That's heavy, heavy language. It's God's will that you put to silence these, these things, doing good, even when you suffer. It's commendable before God. One translation puts it this way. You bring a smile to God's face. And as God smiles down upon you, with it comes his grace. A smile on his face, it always releases grace. So you honor God, which is our number one most important thing. Secondly, we impact other people positively. In verse 15, it says, by doing good, you silence the ignorant talk of the foolish people. There are people in your lives who are going to say what they say about you and say what they say about you as a believer and all this. But I'm telling you, when you just continually and constantly, hupatasso, 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 submit yourself, submit yourself. I'm going, to, I'm going to further the dream in your heart. I'm going to run this play with all my heart, even if it's not the play I would have called. Even if I think it's the wrong play, eventually there's going to come a day when it's going to muzzle those who talk bad about you, because they're going to see that you have a Joseph spirit in you, that you put me in any situation, I'm going to make it better. Put me in, I don't need my dream job to live with all my heart. I'm, a call, I'm called to upper level management. All right, you're in a prison now. What are you going to do? Make this prison cell shine, baby. I'm going to make this thing run like a clock. And he just keeps getting exalted, 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 because he had that kind of a grace on his life. You impact other people positively. Everybody was talking about Joseph. He, no matter what he went through, he honored Potiphar. He honored Pharaoh. He honored the prison warden. He even honored the men who, who had forgotten about him. And when they brought him out, he didn't, bring, he didn't bring anything against them. Even his brothers who put him in the pit, when he had the chance to take them all out and make them all pay, he said, you know what? You did this thing, and it was wrong, but God had something in mind. I hope Patasso under him. I'm not actually your slave. I'm God's slave. Come on, I'm, I'm actually looking at his authority, and he's going to exalt me in due time. I just dare you to believe that. But it's important that, that it's not a phony, you know, kind of submission. You know, that you're not being a public David, but a private Absalom. I'm going to yield to you here, but then the moment I'm, I'm turned around, I'm going to talk bad about you behind your back and run my mouth about you and tell everybody, you know, he, he took credit for that idea. It was actually mine. I'm telling you, when you got that Joseph spirit in you, you don't care who gets credit. You just want the organization. Time will tell. It'll, it'll, it'll all come out in time. I'm telling you something. No one gets away with anything. And, and that's the beautiful thing about this. We're not saying, like, it's okay what they're doing that's wrong. Your boss may be a jerk, but that's going to come out in, in due time. He's going to have his, his own day before God. God's, God's really good at running the universe is the point. If you just trust him and keep your heart right and keep doing what you're supposed to do, God will take care of all that stuff. I'm telling you something. You impact other people. And then thirdly, you develop your character. You really do. You develop your character. As you're uh, dealing with these situations that are challenging and hard, God's got something else going on, and it's your own life. Sometimes I'm convinced God puts people into your life who are uh, authority figures who at times are there to chafe on you because it's that sharpening that, 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 that needs friction. You never grow in times where there's no struggle. It's that struggle that releases that strength. And really, those situations make us who we are. And guess what? Peter, my boy Peter, he is living proof of all this. I mean, he went through it, didn't he? I mean, gosh, he had times in his life where, where he thought his authority, Jesus, did not know what he was doing. 
There was a time when he pulled Jesus aside. Jesus had just told him about the cross. I mean, he had finally, okay, here's a plan. Right, now, that, now that everyone's fed, now that that guy's been healed, that dude, dead dude I raised, okay, cool. Come on, circle up, boys. Guess what? They're like, what? You know how everybody keeps trying to make me king? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. Can we get a gig in your government after? Can I be on your right hand? That's like Peter and John's favorite thing. Can I sit at your right or sit at your left? He's like, no, no, guess what? I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter's like, you know what? We're going to put a pin in that. Totally solid option. But uh, come, come over here. He's like, no, Jesus, you don't want to die on a cross, man. You need to be king. You need, you need to be in charge. You need to straighten this world out. And you know what Jesus said to Peter? You're not mindful of heaven. Get thee behind me, Satan. You're, you're, just, thinking, you're just thinking about Peter's sake. You're just thinking about how this is going to benefit you. What's in it for me? You're not thinking of what God wants. You think, I want to go on the cross? I don't want to go on the cross either. But I live my life out for God's sake. You, you think that would be enough, right? But no. Jesus gets arrested on Good Friday, Garden of Gethsemane. And not, can you imagine Jesus in chains, but didn't open his mouth? Could have said the word, and 12 legions of angels would have taken every single one of those soldiers out, but he stood there like a lamb before his shears is silent. Peter, Peter sees this and is like, nah, not on my watch. Pulls out his sword and cuts the ear off of the servant of the high priest who came with the soldiers. Because, you know, he's a tough guy. There's a bunch of soldiers. He's going to fight the servant, probably the only unarmed person. <laughs> the ser I'm going to fight you. <laughs> like the smallest guy. Like, like, kid's like four feet tall in my imagination. Like, right? Cuts the ear off. Right? Some people were like, he wanted to send a message. No, I think he was aiming for the throat. Okay? He totally missed. Right? He had his eyes closed. And everyone's seeing this. The dude's ears on the ground now. Everyone looks at Jesus, and he's like, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Sticks it back on, and then goes back to the guys and goes, as you were. Right? Like, you, you may continue with the arrest now. <laughs> that dude, Malchus, is like. Peter had to learn the hard way to live his life for God's sake and not for Pete's sake. And it's the same lesson that we need to learn too. And God is developing us into who we're meant to be through the authority. Here's what I've learned in life. I've learned that the, one of the best ways for us to become worthy of authority is to be given unworthy authority. And it's those situations that develop us into who we're meant to be. One of my favorite statements ever on this, I've used it before in, in my ministry, is uh, from Adrian Rogers. He wrote a book called Kingdom Authority. Highly recommend this book. And in it, he said this, and I quote, we will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. There is strength through surrender. Right now, picture whatever you dream of, whatever you feel like is on your heart, down the road, your ideal situation, one day the, the God dream inside of you, where you could be, what, you, what people have spoken over you before, right? And you think about that. What it involves is certain things under your feet. And the Bible talks about what God wants to put under your feet and the, the ground he wants you to take, what, the stand he wants you to make, the, the George Washington crossing, the, the, those moments are real, right? Great, cross that Delaware, great, amazing. Yes, God has all that for you. But you will never be over what he wants under you till you learn to come under what he's put over you. Right now, you're in preparation. He's training you. He's trying to develop you. And he knows what you need to know. You can't lead if you won't be led. You can't be trusted 
if you won't be tested and, and handle it well. Joseph would have been destroyed by the power had he not first, I'm convinced, gone through the pit and gone through the prison and gone through Potiphar's house. So right now, you're, you're, you're being developed. You're being tested. Perhaps God put that situation there to see how you're going to handle it, to see if you'll rise up to who God's called you to be or if you'll take the easy way out and try and tear down the person over you and try and get to where you're supposed to be. you got to see the season you're in as one of development. Fortunately, in all of this, we're given a wonderful pattern of what this looks like. Because we hear this, we're like, ah, man, what does that even look like? Well, there's a pattern. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The message translation said, we have a template, and we get to follow it step by step. My next-door neighbor asked me this summer, she said, will you help me start my lawnmower? And I was like, I don't know how to start a lawnmower. What are you talking about, right? Do I look like I know how to start a lawnmower? So what did I do? I got my phone out. I said, of course I will. And I grabbed my phone, and I Googled the, the model of the lawnmower, and I saw this little video, and we sit there in my driveway. We watched it together. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, for sure. This thingy right here is what we got to do. But you got to do this thingy first before you do that. And it started right up. And she went away. I was like, I'm, I'm a new man. I, I'm a whole new me, right? She comes back half an hour later. She's like, how do you empty the bag? I'm like, all right, we're going to get this sucker out. We looked at it step by step. This is how you release the bag. And then I said, hey, you want to come to church? She goes, well, I got girlfriends in town. I said, they can come too. She says, will you tell them? I come inside and tell them. One little old lady goes, if I come to your church, the roof will fall in on me and crush me. I said, I bet you it won't because I'm pretty jacked up too. And they let me up in here. So they all came inside. I got them seats in the front row. And two out of three of them raised their hands up at the invitation. It all started with a lawnmower. And the one lady said, if the priest back where I live looked like you, I'd go every week. And I was like, ma'am, I'm a married man. See this right here? <laughs> Little old 70-year-old lady trying to get fresh with me. I don't think so. <laughs> Tell you what. But, but <laughs> 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 Jesus has given us an example to follow step by step. And, and, and it's in his perfect life, and it's his sinless death. And it's in the fact that he didn't speak up at his trial when he could have. He could have set the record straight, and he just, he, he took it, and he, he, he accepted what God had put over him because he realized something bigger was, he was more concerned about heaven's sake than even Jesus' sake, and that's where God wants us to get to, and I know that's a tall order, but here's the cool thing. We have not just to think of the, the pattern Jesus gave to us, we also can be motivated by the, the pattern that, that is us. You, you are a pattern that others are following. I was thinking this week about chicken fingers, and um, I was thinking about how, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen it happen where a waiter comes over, and she'll go, hey, uh, you need a kid's menu? My oldest daughter. And, she, and I'm, I'm like, you know, she, she's 13. You know, it, it's all good. We could just say she's 12. I'm like, no, nah, she's actually 13. And I, I, I see my little kids sitting there, and I, I see what an opportunity is for me to give weight to down the road when I talk to them about underage drinking. And when I talk to them about the decisions they're going to make, this is an authority situation for $6. I'm not going to sell my character and sell my conviction to authority. You see what I'm saying? You are a pattern to your children. You're a pattern to all those in your life who are going to follow you and see how you respond to the IRS, how you respond to the posted speed limit, how you respond to laws on littering. And the smaller the issue is, perhaps the more important it is, because then it's when you get to really show, I believe in this submission thing. And I'm going to call you to it, but I'm also going to live it out as well. Come on, we're a pattern. And that's all hard. 
all of it's hard. The what, the why, the how. And that's what we've talked about, the what. This is the problem, and this is the posture, and, and the why. This is the promise. But fortunately, we, we have a how in following this pattern, and the how is the power. Jot that down. The power that we have comes from the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ released power for us, there to be accessed anytime we need it. And I believe that power is healing. That power is healing of our pride. And in those moments, the power is the healing of our ego that wants to control us and wants to, to get us into trouble. That, that power, he says it in the text as your wounds were healed because he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. So when, you, when, when your old nature wants to rise up, you can, you can actually speak that out. That part of me is dead and buried and paid for by Christ on the cross. I'm healed from that. I don't have to do what I used to do. And, and you access that through living a life of worship. Many scholars believe, and we're going to close here, that verses 21 through 25, all about him as a lamb and him on the cross and paying for our sins, is actually the lyrics to a first century worship song. So maybe Peter's talking about Nero, and he's getting himself frustrated, just like you saw me a little bit frustrated at the kindly Delta agent. <laughs> maybe Peter got himself a little worked up thinking about it, and the way he calmed himself down was through worship. And I think that if the more we're living lives of worship, the less we'll live lives of worry, and the more we'll be able to respond to whatever God calls us to do. Come on, we can sort of whistle while we work. In Jesus' name, you receive it? Father, we thank you for this time in your word as we just try and talk of, of the journey we're on, trying to follow you imperfectly. And certainly a loaded message and lots of different angles. And, and especially within churches, we sometimes feel entitled to, to, to speak badly about a president or an elected official, sort of putting a spiritual veil on it. But God, you've torn that off. You've really just exposed something in our heart. And there may be an issue with this leadership, its structure, this coach, this teacher, this boss but really you're doing something deeper in our hearts. And we want to be developed and we want to be a bright light and we want to bring you honor. And so we do pray through that worship, we would tap into the healing that's ours because of the cross. And so I do pray for that spirit of humility to mark us. If that's you I'm describing and some part of this message has touched you and you would just say, I want to receive that humility. I want to walk in that. I'm, I'm raising my hand right here with you. I'm just going to ask you to raise a hand up to heaven. Just saying, God, I want to repent of my pride. And I want to be humble because you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, shine your smile down on us as we say we are weak, but you are strong. You can put your hand down. I want to give before we close an invitation to anybody who's here this week and you've never responded to the gospel. You know, you've been to church and you've, you've maybe done some religious things. You know some Bible verses and you're content that you're a pretty good person. You try hard most of the time. But the Bible says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He, made, he came so dead men could live. And the only way dead, the dead could live is through him dying for us and paying our bill, satisfying our debt and arising from the dead. And as he released his Holy Spirit into the world to knock on our hearts, we could come to know him. He wants to bring life into your heart, to bring salvation to your soul. And I'm just gonna encourage you to realize that today's the day and now's the time. If you've been, you know, maybe sort of dealing with this conviction, realizing I need to give my heart, to give my heart to God, to get straight, to get right with Jesus. But you'd think I'll do it next week or I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it after college or 
Maybe next Easter, I'll get right with God. Let me just tell you that life's a vapor. And today's the day and now's the time. Jesus is knocking on, on someone's heart today. Will you open the door and let him in? He wants to forgive you, wants to give you peace and grace, but you have to let him into your life. Let mercy in. Let him bring that healing. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm gonna say a prayer. If you wanna be included in this prayer, say it with me. One sentence at a time, out loud to God, meaning in your heart. The church family is gonna pray it with us to show that we're with you in this decision. Say this, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself, but I believe you can. Because you paid my bill on the cross, I can be healed. Come into my life and make me new. I give myself to you.